Welcome to the Life of Christ, Term 2, Lesson 12. We are going to pick up now in the section entitled John's Assignment to Prepare, to prepare the Way of the Lord. And we're going to begin in Luke chapter 3 and verse 4, where it says there, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now this is almost identical to what Matthew 3.3 says, and that is, for this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, the account that we'll be looking at in our study is Mark's gospel, because it adds more detail to this account. And I'm picturing Jesus as an active, energetic, swiftly moving, warring, conquering king. So, as is the case, whenever a king is about to arrive, he is generally preceded by a herald, whose function is to prepare the way for the king, and to proclaim his arrival, which is exactly what Mark portrays by saying now in Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The beginning of the gospel, or literally the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, all right, stressing both Christ's deity and his unique relationship to God the Father. Verse 2, as it is written in the prophets, now this is making reference to both Malachi and Isaiah, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one, that was in Malachi 3.1, the voice of one emphasizing the message was what was important, not the messenger. Notice, the voice of one, crying in the wilderness, notice it's not in the temple, or the synagogue, as would be expected, but in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now that was from Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. Now, let me read this first. Firstly, in relation to the phrase, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, William Hendrickson writes, the underlying idea is indeed the actual wilderness. The very sight of this dreary region must have impressed those who listened to John's preaching with the fact that they themselves were spiritually wandering in a desert land where all the streams are dry. Good, isn't it? Yeah? Okay. To this, William MacDonald adds, spiritually speaking, I will comment on this in a minute. Spiritually speaking, Israel was a wilderness at this time. As a nation, it was arid and cheerless, bringing forth no fruit for God. In order to be ready for the coming of the Lord, the people had to undergo a moral change. So let's talk about that for a minute. <clears throat> it's very interesting how God picks the stage. you know, And it's reflecting what the people are like. He's saying, I'm calling you out here because this is what you are like in my sight. You people have nothing living in you anymore. You're arid landscapes. There's no fruit in your life. Interesting, isn't it? And it's amazing how there's a match now between what's on the inside and what's on the outside. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. All right. And boy, I tell you, when God wants to make a point, He makes a point. Mm -hmm. All right. He's so good at preaching. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. Second, and we'll talk about this as we go a little bit more as, as we get to things. With regard to the phrase, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight, MacDonald writes, when a king was going to make a royal visit in those days, elaborate preparations were made to smooth the highways and make his approach as direct as possible. This is what John called upon the people to do. Not on, uh, only it was not a matter of repairing literal roads, but of preparing their own hearts to receive him. Amen? Okay. Hendrickson explains that they must, by God's grace and power, effect a complete change of mind and heart. Meaning that they must provide the Lord with a ready access to their hearts and lives. Okay, let's stop there for a minute. Before John came, access to their heart and mind was a very squiggly road. Are you all with me? It was filled with all kinds of garbage that the corrupt religious leaders were teaching. And you know what? People didn't know what to believe. And so they were not in a position to receive anything. If you go to a place... And thank God you don't, I pray. If you go to a church that just tells you stuff, that you sit there and you cringe at every word that comes out of the preacher's mouth, after a while you shut down. Because it's self-preservation. You don't want that stuff going in anymore. Alright? And so you just go there just to ease your conscience, not to hear anything, not to learn, not to grow. Who's all with me? Okay? So that when somebody comes along and starts preaching something, your heart isn't ready and prepared to receive something. Because it hasn't done that for so long, it almost doesn't know how. Are you getting this now? Alright? So this is why John had to go. He had to make the way straight so that people would actually receive the Word of God and not have it go all over the place. And they wouldn't be standing there going, Yeah, but Rabbi, what's his face said this? And what's his name said that? And I don't know which way to go with this. And now, is that a literal, you know, snake? Or is that like a, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? And you, you don't know what's going on in there. And you, you say something, and my God, it's like one of those little balls trying to find its way through a maze to the center. And get, stu- get stuck somewhere along the way. So this is what John is doing. He's plowing the road. He's going, you know what? Here to there, plow the road. You hear something, you receive it. You take it to heart. Amen. I know you heard stuff over there. Forget about it. In fact, when they come to my meeting, I'll tell them what I think about all of them. It'll be made very clear. <laughs> okay? What they're saying and what I'm saying is different. And I don't give a rat's nose about whatever they're saying. And you shouldn't either. Hello. Okay. (laughs) Well, you know. Okay, (laughs) alright. Okay, so let me continue on here. So by God's grace and power, right? They must effect a complete change of mind and heart. Meaning that they must provide the Lord with a ready access to their hearts and lives. They must make straight whatever was crooked. Not in line with God's holy will. They must clear away all the obstacles which they had thrown into his path. Such obstructions as self-righteousness and smug complacency. Okay? That we have Abraham as our father. Hello? Okay? That's in Matthew 3.9. Greed, cruelty, slander, all that stuff. 
Okay, I'm giving you scriptural references there if you want to go check it out. Now, while Matthew 3.3 3 and Mark 1.3 quote only Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3, Luke goes on to quote verse 4 as part uh, and a part of verse 5 of Isaiah 40 in Luke chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And that's the reason why we're looking at all of the accounts. All right, because some will continue on and give us more detail. All right, so here, here's one of those times. In Luke chapter 3, verse 5, it, he goes on to say now that it, not only to make the path straight, remember what we just read? Okay, but he goes and say, and every valley shall be filled. Right, so those who are truly repentant and humble would be saved and satisfied. And every mountain and hill brought low. People like the scribes and Pharisees who were haughty and arrogant would be humbled. Are you getting this? Alright. The crooked places shall be made straight. Those who were dishonest, like the tax collectors, would have their characters straightened out. And the rough ways smooth. Soldiers and others with rough, crude temperaments would be tamed and refined. Verse 6, And all flesh, referring to every nation on earth, shall see the salvation, and therefore the Messiah of God. Okay, shall see the salvation of God. That's what it means. Are you all with me? Alright? Now, <clears throat> Leon Morris says that verse 6 fits in with Luke's purpose of bringing out that the gospel is universal. Alright, so salvation was no longer going to be thought of as for the Jew only, but for all. And why it is said, why it's said in Acts 10.34, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Now, I want to go back for a minute. Go back up to Luke chapter 3 and verse 5. Verses, well, basically verse 5. I want you to notice the things that Luke deals with. He says that those people that will repent are going to be filled. No longer are they going to go and listen and walk away unsatisfied, like they have been doing week after week after week in their synagogue. Do you understand? So this is a prophecy. This is something being said that this was what was coming. You actually go and you get something and you go home going, wow, that was great. I actually learned something today. I changed something in me. I became better for going. Do you understand? And those people that were just walking around with their nose up in the air are going to be brought down. They're going to be spoken to. And this is, a, this is going to all going to come to pass, needless to say. Jesus gets in with, with, with the you know, Sadducees and the Pharisees and and the scribes, oh boy, they're going to have fun, the lawyers, you know. Okay, everything that was wrong was going to get fixed. People were going to get fed, high places were going to be brought low. Notice the next thing he says, and the crooked places shall be made straight. So people that were doing the wrong thing, and saying, well, it's not as bad as what the high priests are doing. See, you, make, you, know, you allow yourself to get away with things when people that you know should be doing and, and knowing better and doing better are doing worse. So why change? Until somebody comes like John the Baptist. <laughs> okay? No corruption. When he opens his mouth, I mean, there is... Remember, he was a man sent from God. The word of the Lord came. Not the word of John. It was through John, but it was a word of God. God was speaking finally. 
is power there. So people are hearing it and it's convicting their hearts and going, what is this feeling I'm having? <laughs> okay? I used to not get this. I used to be dead when I go to church. Now it's just like, whoa! Something is happening inside. Because God is touching hearts now. And so people that are doing wrong things, the crooked places, hello, nobody saw. <laughs> okay? It's suddenly like, we better make that straight, Martha, because I think she knows. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, amen. And so can you see now how he's preparing the way? So people who have been doing the wrong thing are starting to repent. People that have been thinking more highly of themselves than they ought to have are being brought down. Those that would listen. Because they need to come down to a place where they'll start to hear again. And not say, well, I don't need that stuff. I'm a pastor. I'm an evangelist. I'm a prophet or an apostle. I don't need that stuff. Are you kidding me? We need everything. Amen? All right. And then he says, and he goes and says that the rough ways, smooth. Even the soldiers... Remember Jesus, we're going to talk about going the second mile. That was in direct reference to soldiers. Because soldiers would would come and, you know, they'd be carrying their packs. And they would get tired and they would pick somebody from the crowd. And they were obligated to carry their pack for a mile. And sweetheart Jews would get to the end, throw it on the ground, spit on it and walk off. (laughs) Okay? So, you know... Jesus is saying, you know what? Don't do stuff like that. The Bible tells us, don't do stuff like that. Okay? He says, you, somebody tells you to go a mile, go two. First mile, they own you. Second mile, you own them. Because right. you're no longer obligated. What you're doing now is voluntary. So when they expect you to turn around, throw it on and spit on it, and you go, I'm good, let's keep going for another mile. They're, you have got their attention. Trust me, you've got their attention now. Because it's like, what is, what, what's up with you? Nobody does this. Who are you? What's your name? And it begins. You can have a nice conversation walking a mile. Okay, it's not five minutes. All right. Having said all that, let's move on. So this is why, again, verse 6 says, And all flesh shall see the salvation of God, because they're ready for it. Amen? All right, let's turn back now to Matthew's Gospel. goes on to describe John and his manner of life. <laughs> this, is, this is fun. All right. Matthew 3, 4. And John himself, I'm on the next page. And John himself was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. So what a sight this would have been. Okay. Hendrickson writes... John's long flowing garment, woven with camel's hair, reminds us somewhat of Elijah's mantle. The leather belt fastened at his waist not only kept, his, kept the loose robe blowing and tearing apart, but also enabled it to tuck up to facilitate walking. Such rugged apparel may have been regarded as symbolic of the prophet's office. Okay? So when people saw that, they, rem- they are reminded of the prophets of old. Not these new guys walking around in their nice phylacteries and all their whiteness and this and that. Here's this guy who's just, I mean, the guy needs to take a bath. You know what I mean? Okay, I'm not saying he was dirty, but you know, it's just like there's this whitewashed tombstone on one side. And there's this rough, tough, 
you know, gunslinger, so to speak, out in the West. <laughs> okay? And he's just like, yeah, when I say something, this guy shoots straight. You know what I'm trying to say? Okay, so there's, you know, so we, we're getting this very different view. And then it's doing it on purpose. Because we are going to have the religious leaders described as well. They're not going to look anything like this. Are you all with me now? Okay, so very clear lines are being drawn. There's the temple, the garments, all the niceties. There's the wilderness. This guy. Okay, wearing that apparel, so not Vogue, okay? <laughs> and you know what? He's got a message. And I tell you what, the man and his message were one. And we're going to look at that in a minute. All right, I'm getting ahead of myself now. Back to this. At any rate, such rough garb was fit for desert wear. It was durable and economical, and the Baptist rough robe matched his message. He was not smooth at all. Are you all here? Okay. And as for his food, it was as simple as his clothing. He lived on locusts and wild honey, meaning that there was nothing attractive or elaborate about the way John dressed or ate. In other words, by means of his simple mode of life, evident with respect to both food and clothing, he was in every way a living protest against all the corruption, depravity, and selfishness that was rampant in Israel at the time. The man was an embodiment of his message. And with such convictions, especially at the time when greed and self-indulgence was openly practiced by the religious leaders at the time, John's energetic and courageous preaching attracted people from everywhere. Stop there for a minute. Okay. This is why the people had lost faith in their religious leaders, in their religious life, okay, in God, because they're looking at it and thinking, wow, if this is a rep- representation of God, I don't want anything to do with God right now. i got enough problems. And you know what? These people are more crooked than the tax collectors. Are you all with me? So, <laughs> we have this very open very known perversion going on in religious circles. And we now have John the Baptist on the other side that is just standing there in literal protest against everything that is going on. Are you all with me? And he stands there as God's messenger and as God's mouthpiece and saying, you know what? This is where God is, which tells us something. If you look at a positive, you can also see the negative. Can I tell you what he's saying? If this is where God is, then that's where God isn't. Did you catch that? Because if God was there, I'd be there. This is what irked the religious leaders so much. Come preach in our church. No. Come to my synagogue. No. Are you all with me? See, you don't think somebody would have invited him? Can we get real here for a minute? Okay. You know, synagogue thing goes out there and goes, my God, that's a big crowd. I should have that in the church. Imagine the offering. Mm. I'm just saying. You know, that's how they were thinking. That's how they were. I'm just telling you like it is. So you know the guy would go and go, now, uh, uh, John, uh, you come to to be baptized? No, no, man. I want you to come and preach in my church. You need to be baptized. You bad carnal thinking. Come over here. Okay, in the water. (laughs) 
Now? I don't know. Back down again. Hello. I know I'm exaggerating, but I want to make a point. I will guarantee you people from the synagogue came and said, if we can get this guy in there, we'll have the biggest synagogue turnout than we've ever had before. You're with me? And he and John goes, No, you bunch of vipers. <laughs> he goes, Well, excuse me. <laughs> but you can just see that in that you can understand that if John is going to be out there, if John is going to be doing his ministry out there, and obviously then we can start reading things into it without getting off course, to understand that he was saying, I'm not setting foot in that. Because it's all crooked. So, the people now are coming out here thinking, why isn't John in my synagogue? I'm I'm just talking to you now. I told you, we need to look at this now. Huh? How come John didn't come? What's wrong with my rabbi? So next week, very low attendance. They're all down at the river. With John. But they can't do anything to him because it's priestly stock. Parents are priests. We do something there, we don't know what's going to come down on us. Like the Sanhedrin might just drop on us like a block of whatever. <laughs> okay, so we kind of can't do this. Are you seeing this? It was, it was unrest. And John was stirring the pot. And they thought he was bad. <laughs> oh, is going to come someone after him. <laughs> yeah. So many ways he couldn't even tie sandals, you know. I mean, dear Lord, this guy's gonna just right between the eyes, and they won't be able to do anything because he's gonna come from a prophetic point. As much as John right now is calling out the leaders for what everybody knows they're doing, Jesus is gonna reveal things that they're doing that people didn't even know they were doing. Anyway, okay, so. Where was I? I lost my spot. <clears throat> okay. Let me reread this. So again, the man was an embodiment of his message, and with such conviction, especially at the time when greed and self-indulgence was openly practiced by the re- religious leaders at the time, John's energetic and courageous preaching attracted people from everywhere. And so Matthew chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 now say, Then Jerusalem, all Judea, or all the land of Judea, says Mark 1.5, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him. Notice they're not going to synagogue anymore. They're going to him. All right. Now Morris says, such a prophetic figure was a rarity, and people wanted to see and hear the man. So, though he was in the wilderness, John did not lack an audience. All right, so verse 6. And were baptized by him in the Jordan. You know, can I just say this? That would have gone up the noses of all the religious leaders and the little synagogue leaders. How come you're going there and getting baptized? Not that they were baptizing anybody. Their problem would have been, why do you need to get baptized? It was a rite that was mostly for people that came out from other religions into the Jewish religion. It was a washing. It was a rite. It was something that you did to cleanse yourself of all the false worship and all the bad meats you ate, pork, whatever, you know, all the stuff that was just not religious and was not Jewish. That's what that was to begin with. So for a Jew to go get baptized, it's like, hang on, you've been eating pork? Why do you need this? Okay, There's going to be a real issue about this. And it says, And were baptized by him in the Jordan, or the Jordan River, confessing their sins. 
Wow. Now that's a big deal. Alright? Obviously he's getting through to them. Obviously they're beginning to see that they have been doing the wrong thing. Obviously they're realizing that God has been seeing it all. And this isn't about confessing to a man. This is about getting right with God now. Remember? A man sent from God. A message that came from God. And the people are starting to repent before God. Firstly, with regard to verse 5, not only did everyone from the region come to John, but as Robert H. Mounts points out, since John's execution was at the decree of Herod Antipas, who ruled over Galilee and Perea, that's in Matthew 14, 1-12, it is likely that the Baptist's travels took him into a wider area as well. So, it wasn't very local what he was doing. He actually traveled quite a bit. This guy was out there, man. I mean, he was out there with the scorpions and everything, and he was walking. If he had to go somewhere distant, he had to walk there. Basically, there's nothing to say he had a donkey or a mule or anything. He just went, however he went. Secondly, in uh, in relation to verse 6, Leon Morris points out that baptism signifies death to a whole way of life. And it may explain why Jesus himself was baptized, to show that his life as the son of a carpenter had come to an end. And it was time to begin his life as the promised Messiah. Amen? In fact, Chuck Swindle goes a step further to say that the rite of baptism also had another meaning that would be important to Jesus. It was the rite... No, this is R-I-T-E. Not, okay? It's a rite of the priests who were purified by the washing of the water just prior to representing the people before God in the most holy place. So it was something that they did before they went into the Holy of Holies. You couldn't go in there dirty. Dingle, dingle, thud. You know what I'm trying to say? Okay. (laughs) You had to be clean in every way possible, mind and heart and everything else, before you went in there. Because you hit pure holiness... And if there's anything there, you die. And we send the next guy in. Are you all here? It was just like that, family. There was no born-again experience. These were natural men going in to see a divine God. An all-powerful, all-powerful creator. That was holy to the extreme. Amen? Okay, so there are two things there for you to think about. As for all the rest of the people that came to be baptized, Hendrickson writes, without confession of sin, no baptism. (laughs) Like that. For those who truthfully repented of their evil state and wicked conduct, baptism was a visible sign and seal of invisible grace. The grace of the forgiveness of sins and adoption into God's own family. Now, like I said again, this is all they could understand because they weren't spiritual people. They didn't have the Spirit in them. Remember, it was only reserved for the prophet, the priest, the king, okay? Very special offices. And so it was an outward act of something heralding that was coming. But not all were genuine in their repentance. And why it goes on to say in the next verse, this is in Matthew 3 7, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, here we go. Luke 3 7 simply says the multitudes, but Matthew elaborates on exactly who they were. He said to them, brood of vipers, 
He didn't say now there's a special seating here for the high people come and sit here, the reserved seating. This is, this is how John treats people that are coming from the Sanhedrin and all that. Are you all with me? They come dressed in their nice robes. He doesn't get changed for them. I can just see some of John's disciples. Hey man, some of the really high you know, priests and whatever come from the... Do, do we want to wear something other than the old camel thing today? You know, just, let's dress up a little bit, John. I mean, look at who's come. John is there too. You know, the apostle John. Okay, He's there with, with, with John the Baptist. All right, we're going to find out later. He, he tags on to Jesus because John says, Behold, the Lamb of God. That's why John knows Jesus from the very beginning. Anyway, so <laughs> you can just see, you know, they're going, Come on, man, dress up. We've got some really important people there. And John just looks at him and goes, Really? Have you not heard anything I've said? And everyone goes, Oh, we got rebuked again. <laughs> okay, you know, we're missing something here. I'm just saying, I'm playing here a little bit, but I need you to understand the sort of man he was. And he was tough being his disciple. <laughs> So when he said, there's somebody else, <laughs> see you later, bye. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Okay, just, uh, just things to think about. I'm not saying that said the Lord. Just giving you stuff to think about. All right. So it says, and he said to them, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Isn't it interesting? He said, it's coming. Everything that you think you got away with, it's, it ends now. So John knew that these religious leaders were some of the worst offenders when it came to being corrupt, both ethically and morally. Therefore, their so-called acts of repentance would not have been genuine, and certainly not for the right reasons. Now, let me hypothesize it for a minute. Why would these people come? They are seeing multitudes turn up. What do you want to do? Let's get our picture taken with this guy. We know him. By association, therefore, you can come to our church. I'm just saying. Now, just watch how this works. So they come to John. John knows exactly what they're thinking. John says, you're not here to repent. Everybody is there looking. People are now looking for honesty. They're seeing John. And and, and we have to be careful with this. You know, this is called endorsement. Be careful, all right? Because they're looking and they're, this is what they're thinking now. They're thinking, remember they're corrupt, okay? They're not good people. So if they turn up and they go, oh, we're here to repent, you know, I want to be seen with you. We'll do this thing. So everybody goes, oh, they went down. They got baptized with John. Okay, we'll all leave our church and go to wherever they're going. That's the reason why. Have you ever wondered why John was just so straight with them? He said, you are not going to lead these people astray. So I'm going to call you out for what you really are. So whatever you decided to come for, all the fame you think you're going to get, it's going to go in reverse right now. Catch this now. You think this would make him mad? It would. Because remember, the high places are going to be made low. They're going to get humbled. They're going to realize John isn't playing their little religious games. They play them and they get up the ladder, but it doesn't work out here in the wilderness. Not with a man of God. And it shouldn't be with you either. Amen? Amen. So, that's why John calls them brood of vipers. He was acquainted, I'm on the next page, with these desert snakes, who rather small in size, were very deceitful. 
when remaining motionless, appearing as dead branches, until their prey got close enough, and then they would suddenly strike at them and cling to them. He adds, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? In other words, in other words, being fully aware that they had no real repentance and lacked the determination to abandon their evil ways, John asked them the question, who deluded you into thinking that it was possible to escape God's divine judgment? It is John's way of telling them that we'll all stand before God as individuals. Amen? You're not going to go up there and say, well, I'm part of the Sanhedrin and here we all are. No, no, no. It's you and God. Let's see what you did. Amen. We're going to have to leave it there because I have run out of time. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed.